Because a lot of times the perfectionist academic gets stuck in their head, like saying, I've got to figure it out. It's kind of like choosing a major. It's for Mm. the rest of my life. Or, you know, figuring out what institution I'm going to go work at. You know, it's not for the rest of your life. You are in control. You get to decide how it goes. Welcome to episode eight of Academics Mean Business. This is your host, Dr. Lindsay Padilla. Today, I have Dr. Lizette Ojeda with us, and she is a psychology professor, and she is currently still professing, uh, which we dive into definitely in this interview. We also talk about a lot of I like this interview because she and I share a social justice research background, and we talk a lot about that, the reconciling of making money in a for-profit business working for ourselves, and what we thought we knew about social justice advocacy, and what kind of mindset shifts we had to make as um, as we were stepping into this entrepreneurship space. And so she, we talk a lot about that. We spent a lot of time, you know, analyzing the, the, that background, that theory and that methodology and learning pretty much through each other's perspectives, how to apply that to our business and how that isn't stopping us. And it it relates a lot of bit a lot to how we see money and resources and how we can make change with these resources that we've gathered by starting our own businesses. So it's a beautiful interview and um, definitely in depth. Um, And if this is something that is hanging you up with starting a business that you have this negative connotation with money, I think this is going to be a very important interview. So her bio, she talks about what she does for women in entrepreneurship. And so she actually helps women step up with confidence into their zone of genius. We talk a little bit about that in the interview. She helps them create an in-demand brand and attract clients using proven psychology strategies. She leverages her experience as a tenured psychology professor, nationally recognized behavioral scientist, licensed psychologist, and consultant to help women build a booming business that lets them live life their way. And you will see that in this interview, we dive deep into her skills and how she uses that to help other women build businesses and make money, which is not a bad thing. So without any further hesitation, here we have Dr. Lizette, Episode seven. All right. So I'm so excited to have Dr. Lizette on with me today. Uh, We'll get into all the nitty gritty with her about her degree, about her business and all that fun stuff. Um, But I'm just really happy you're here. I've been hanging out and following you online for a long time. Um, I think we had a call like last summer, something like that. I remember that call. We sure did when I was doing market research. Yes. And I was just like, oh my God, there's like other people with like degrees out there. (laughs) Not everyone hates the Academy. Um, I'm just happy that you're here and you can share your story. So thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Awesome. So let's let's start at the beginning. Uh, why did you want to become a Dr. Lizette? And <laughs> why did you decide to do that crazy thing called a PhD? <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's a good question. No, I'm just kidding. Um, well, ever since I can remember, like, I was always a curious kid. And I wondered, why do people do what they do? And so I naturally wanted to understand psychology of why people do. And so 
with that came learning and learning about human behavior. Um, and so I just, you know, in high school, I remember taking a psychology course and being really, really excited about it. And then it just continued on. I actually started out at a community college. And remember Monday morning, 8 a.m., my first course was psychology. And the professor took me under her wing and she really saw something in me that I hadn't seen in myself. And she ended up inviting me to lecture for her a course the next, oh my the next semester. That's awesome. And I was like, wow, what an honor. I'm so excited. I ended up preparing for like a 15 minute lecture. Like it took me hours and hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I still remember that. Now I, I do it in like five minutes. But don't right? Like with our eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I used to do that same thing. I'd be like, I'd walk yeah. into my class and I'd be like, what are we talking today? Oh yeah. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and it just spiraled from there. She believed in me and I was like, why not? You know, I was the actually not only the first person to graduate from high school, but even the first person to go to high school. My parents did not. Um, My dad ended up working in the fields in Mexico and my mom's dad did not want her to transition into a co-ed school, which was what the high school would have been. So um, I didn't have those examples in my life. So here's this professor who believes in me and I'm like, okay, sure. Why not? She's like, you need to transfer to a university. And I'm like, okay. So that's what I did. I went on and went to a four-year commuter school locally while I lived at home. And then the professor there took me under her wings and she's like, you need to apply to a PhD program. I'm like, okay, sure. If you're saying I got what it takes, then I'll do it. And so that's what I did. I went to, um, the Midwest in the middle of nowhere, Mm. um, which was a huge transition. I was like, people don't look like me here. Mm. Um, And so that was a whole other thing. Like, you know, I'm one of the few percentages of people in academia. Um, And, and I, I wanted to prove not only to myself, but to society that people who look like me can do it. And also to leave a legacy for my family Mm -hmm. after everything that my parents had done, I wanted to continue um, that forward. And so that's what I ended up doing. I I fell in love with research. I fell in love with teaching and it was just a natural thing. You know, I had the ability and I had the passion and together it just created this perfect opportunity that opened doors for me naturally. And so I ended up going into a tenure track, position right out out of um graduate school oh, wow didn't have to do a postdoc Amazing. yeah no yeah. postdoc just right away like that. so which which was interesting because you know i was i felt like i could have used that transition between student to professor yeah because suddenly i had this this power and and, you know, I did go through a, a several years where people thought I was a student. Like, I remember going to, to my department and, like, talking about dissertations. And they're like, well, you need to ask your advisor. And I'm like, actually, I am the advisor. Wow. <laughs> and, and yeah. And so, so that, that was really interesting. I never want, I always wonder, like, is it because I look young? Is it because I'm a woman? Is it because I'm a minority? Like, what is it? All so, of it. <laughs> Probably all of it. All of it, you right? Pull that apart. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And so um, I've been in academia since 2009. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I got tenure about 
two years ago, I think now I've lost track. Congrats. Research One. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Research One Institution, which is brutal, like it's publish or perish. Yep. Um, but yeah. Awesome. Well, so that's, 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 that's the academic good. part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I'd love to hear, maybe we can weave it in, like what you studied and like what your favorite part about teaching is since you're currently doing that. So, I, you know, kind of paint the picture for where you're at at this moment would be great. Yes. So uh, my degree is in psychology. And so I, I teach PhD students who are psychologists to be um, in a scientist practitioner model, meaning that they do get the research. They cool. do also get the practice experience. So they get to decide what they do when they graduate. Awesome. Um, I think I just really love being able to continue to be in that position of like, why do people do what they do and being able to Mm. help my students really understand that and ask questions. Like I like my field Mm. because it's not like teaching math where two plus two equals four all the time. We're dealing with people and people are so complex. That's why I loved my like, yes. sociology. Yes, 100%. Yeah. 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 So every class is a new experience. Yep. It's not the same thing. Dry material. Yep. So I love, I love it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We're very similar on that. Very cool. Okay. So that's cool. Now, where did you learn about entrepreneurship? What was like, take me back to maybe a pivotal moment or some kind of spark of an idea what was going on um, in your life that made you open up to this, at, like starting a business? Yeah. And let me start by saying, I never felt that I had a business bone in my body. I hear you. <laughs> yeah, hear you. never, <laughs> never. Because um, the, 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 the idea of like a, a sleazy sales car salesman mm-hmm. comes to mind. Mm-hmm. For but, me, it was um, like Karl Marx I, playing in my head. <laughs> that was what oh. was happening. Like grad school, I'm just imagining all the theorists I read mm-hmm. and like economic stuff. And I'm just like, I'm turning into a capitalist. That was my, that was my thing. So I had to unlearn yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, like, I think we both come from a social justice, mm-hmm. um, you know, passion and standpoint. Um, I felt like business meant bucks. Yeah. <laughs> business meant bucks. Like mm-hmm. that was the primary interest. Mm-hmm. That was the primary focus. Whereas yep. I'm like, no, I want to help people with their lives, not with their bucks, Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. not make more money. And Mm -hmm. like, so I had this mentality of like, money is evil. And like, you shouldn't be in it for the money, you should be in it to help people. And so I never felt like, again, that sleazy car salesman. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I remember when I was a little girl, my dad had his own mechanic shop. And he would tell me like, you need to work for yourself. Like that is the highest level of success to work for yourself. Interesting. I don't want to work for myself. Like, cause to me, I was like my, um, what I saw working for yourself meant was working all the time. Mm -hmm. My dad was working all the time and not making too much money. But he was working for himself. And so that was like the ultimate thing, not having anyone tell you what to do. Academia is great in that you have a lot of autonomy. You know, you have a lot of control over your schedule and how you teach, you know, academic freedom and all that. Yep. Um, But the pivotal point, going back to your question, was when my kids were born and my um, husband got laid off 
from corporate America. And, and so I was like, wow, we just lost his income. Mm-hmm. What can I do to put food on? My, I mean, it wasn't that bad, right? I mean, my job's okay, but you can only make so much. And I had, we had just lost so much money from my husband's side. And so that's when I just started to think outside of the box. Like, okay, in academia, it's comfortable. My salary is stable. I have good insurance. I know that I'm going to get a stable paycheck every single month. I know what to expect. But in reality, I can only make so much. Yep. Yep. I can only make so much. It doesn't matter how long I've had my PhD. I can only make so much. There's a cap. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is a cap. And so I'm like, okay, think outside the box, be resourceful. Um, What can you do? And so I'm like, okay, well, I have really strong skill set as a psychologist, as a researcher, as a professor. How can I leverage this? And, you know, start to contribute more financially for my, for my family, because I have to do something, I have to do it now. So that's where that came in. Otherwise, I wouldn't have thought about it, to be honest. So what was was your first move? My first move was to start a private practice. Because ah, that okay. was the, like the low hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. So I'm and like, pretty like I traditional, a, right? Like I, yeah, I, I just want to like, I want to ask you a question about this because I think about um, as a sociologist, we don't have private practices, right? So yes. like we have this one option, but I feel like psychologists, I do see a few more psychologists, I think in this entrepreneur space than some of the other PhD holders. Um, and I wonder if it has something to do with that's actually kind of common. It is, it is. Um, there is, there are models or examples of, of people doing both or at one time doing one and then going into the other and that kind of thing. So I, I wonder if that had anything to do with it. And I'm kind of curious your take on that too. Yeah. Usually, you know, people either go the academic route or the practice route. And so, okay, like, so well, they do that's kind the of pick. Obvious. Okay. Yeah. 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 And so I'm like, well, low hanging fruit, let's go with that. I'm good at it. I can do it. Makes sense. So that's what I started to do. Then, Ah. (laughs) no problem there. But then I'm like, hmm, the market can only bear so much, right? Mm -hmm. You you can't, it doesn't matter if I am practicing as a psychologist for 20 years. I can never charge a thousand an hour, Mm -hmm. I don't think. Mm -hmm. And again, like I needed to figure out a way to bring in more income because my husband did not have any income right now. Um, and so I'm like, Oh, you know, it's only one person at a time, you know, one client Mm -hmm. at a time, I could do groups, but still like the, that cap on the industry, what it could bear financially. So that's when I'm like, okay, what else can I do? That's when I'm like, think outside the box, Lizette. And so I, I don't even know how it happened, but I just started Googling stuff. And then one thing led to another in terms of taking it online. Yeah. And then like, I just got the bug. I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, think about the impact. I can impact so many more people around the world. No limits, no barriers, mm-hmm. no boundaries. Mm-hmm. And so that's where that shine. That that's where that started to come out. And I was just like really excited about it. And so that's where I'm at now. Ah, I got um, it. So I'm wearing all these hats. Yes, still. you are. Lindsay, yes. Tell us about this. that. Tell us about, <laughs> tell us a little bit about your business. And, um, well, actually 
If you could tell us a little bit about what it was like to kind of answer this call to like, so, you know, you were doing it out of need, which is very different than my story Mm -hmm. of, you know, I was kind of making this choice, but what did it feel like to really decide that, that you could do it and were capable and that you were going to add an income stream to your family? What was going on in your head? Did you tell your department? Did you tell anyone or were you doing it in secret? Um, so yeah, I just have questions about like that kind of stuff. What was going on in your head? Mm. If you can remember back to when you're like, this is happening, this is real. Like I'm going to get a website, I'm going to get a domain (laughs) that those decisions. Yeah. That's a great question. And there is some some fuzziness there mm. because everything happened so fast. Like I I just had to figure it out some way, somehow. Ah. So like I didn't really take a lot of time to think and process and very um, unacademic like of you. What do you do? <laughs> I know. It, yeah. Right? It was a lot of risk taking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's so different. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I don't even remember to be completely you, honest. Like, blocked it, just it out. Like big, <laughs> maybe that's part uh, of it. Yeah, that's traumatic, I guess. <laughs> maybe maybe it's not even like the the second you like were like, oh shit, this is real. But maybe it's like even just like a couple months in when you're like, I made this decision. Like any sort of like second guessing or like emotional response towards moving towards this thing that is so different than what you ever thought you would be doing. Um, and what it maybe even at this point clashed with some of your values uh, before you were fully like in. So I don't know anything around that, like in the early stages. Yeah. Uh, What comes to mind is the money thing. Mm -hmm. I've always been someone who's a giver, serve people. um, And uh, let me tell you, my research my research is focused on social justice. And Mm -hmm. now here I am trying to help people make more money, Mm -hmm. you know, by understanding what makes people buy and how to get them to buy from you. So the psychology of buying and persuasion and all that. And I'm like, this is, this feels like it's clashing Mm -hmm. with my values. And I'm like, how can I make money and help others make money by helping others make money and get, have the rich get richer Mm -hmm. while the poor are still poorer. And I'm like, so it was a huge, huge mindset issue that was holding me back for a really long time. How do you feel and about it it's now? Is it is it changed now? It's changing. Changing. I feel the same <laughs> way. Changing. I would have answered that the exact same way. Yeah. What? Yeah. I, it, I find that paradox between social justice and money, like at its core is what leads to burnout for social justice advocates, people who are out mm-hmm. there on like b- boots on the ground in some cases, but also the people that are doing, um, you know, even the research, right? Because I think there is a burden that comes with researching and knowing what's happening and not being able to do enough or give enough talks or have enough like of a theoretical framework that, that can be applied to make a difference. And so um, there's this like burden of, am I ever able to do enough around this arena? Because I know how fucked up the world is essentially. And then, but then what's funny is because I kind of studied this a little bit in sociology around like social movements and, um, and that kind of thing. And it's like resource allocation is a big part of how movements are able to continue. And so this idea that it has to live as a direct opposite, I think is messing with a lot of people who are doing this work. Um, And resources, not just money, but then also like 
self-care, like our own personal resources, and we just want to give all of it till we have nothing, which isn't helping really anybody. So um, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'd love since I know we're similar in this and a lot of um, the work we did did and do is similar in this area. So I'd love to kind of talk with you more around yeah, what do we do about this? Because I'm sure there's somebody listening right now who's probably thinking very similar things. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts about why they're as they're seen as opposites and how are you making money and still holding those values? Like, what are you telling? What story are you telling yourself about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what has helped is that it's an exchange of energy Mm -hmm. That helped me too. In a form that like money is not, I'm trying to detach the meaning that money is evil, Mm -hmm. that uh, money is, is, you know, like money is greed and all those negative terms with money and exchanging it for um, meaning like empowerment or like what you can do with money. More money, more money means I can help more people. It's like more potential. I can establish, mm-hmm. yes, I can establish a scholarship fund mm-hmm. if I have more money. I can donate if I have more money. I can work less and spend more time volunteering if I want to. Mm-hmm. More money is not the more greed or more evil in the world. It could be, if used for good, and I plan to use it for mm-hmm. good, then it could be an amazing thing. Money could be really good. Mm-hmm. Can you, do you believe that we can run businesses and still harbor some of the notions that we're anti-capitalist in some ways, like some parts, like I'm assuming we, we probably agree in some ways about what capitalism does to human beings and groups of human beings and disadvantage human beings and people are separated and treated differently and given different access and resources. So we know that capitalism is a part of that. Can you run a business in this space and actively be challenging some of those structures? And I don't know if I know the answer. So I'm I'm like, I'm Mm. like positioning that and I'm like, I I don't even know how I would answer that. So I don't know. What do you think? Oh my gosh, that is a huge question. It is a big question. Oh my gosh. Because I I do I, I do believe that we can part of me, I remember like my favorite theory professor when I was getting into like education was like, yeah, education's fucked up. It still sorts people. It's still, you know what I mean? Like there's, that is a problem. And he's like, but you're going into it knowing this. So in a sense, he was kind of like, find your allies on a campus and figure out like who like is working on this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, make sure you're doing what you can to change the things that you know need to be changed after studying this stuff. Um, And I think he said something like, yeah, find your allies and, um, you know, take it down from the inside is the language that he kind of used. So he was in my head as I was exactly struggling with very similar questions as you. And I'm just like, am I contributing to the problem? And then, but then I thought about it from this perspective. So as a white female online, you know, I am constantly as a white female anywhere in in the world, as a white female in the world, um, I 
have to constantly be thinking about in ways I'm oppressing. And so you can't get outside of that, right? So now we're in capitalism and we have we are like deep in the belly of it, right? We always have been, even in the academy, to pretend that the academy isn't like impacted by this system is it is not that doesn't make any sense either. But here now we are like holding holding the power, like you're saying, like we get to control like how we use the money. And I'm like, that's pretty powerful. So knowing what I know about the world and what still needs to be known and what will constantly be need to be challenged, us, like people like us, like having access to a lot of money would change even the perception of money, I think. Like, and I think being able to contribute a lot of the work, you know, I studied uh, in sociology had to do with like social movements and, you know, charity, like the difference between charity and volunteering and actually like, you know, doing work that impacted the population that they're trying to impact and like study what the impact actually has. It's not just doing good for good sake. Like, are you actually changing the system? Dude, that kind of knowledge is really important in the world right now as as we're trying to make changes, you know, through nonprofits and through everything, right? So part of me is just like how powerful for people who know what they know about how the world works to have resources. What would that mean if we started to like instead of keeping it bottled within the institution, if we like freed it? in some way. So that's where I am with it. I know that was kind of rambly, but like, again, live processing it. Um, I don't know. So those are, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually something else that I wanted to do. I wanted to expand my zone of genius mm, in other domains. I love that. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, when you said bottled up, right? Mm, mm -hmm. That's how I felt. Like, I'm like, there's more, there's more I could offer outside of these, outside of the ivory tower. Like there's more, more lives, different, different populations, different, different audiences who could benefit from Mm. what I have to offer. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's a good way of looking at that. And this is what it looks like. And how I decide what I decide to do with it is up to me. So I can choose to use it for good or not. And obviously I will, but you know, that that's empowering and powerful. Mm-hmm. I agree. Awesome. So let's hear a little bit about your business. So we've, you know, we've alluded to this idea that you work in persuasion. Uh, obviously there's a lot of persuasion in uh, market, uh, like marketing, marketing theory. Um, so what does your business look like right now? And um, tell us about, yeah, what it's like to like a day in the life of Dr. Lizette. Like when are you working on your business? When are you teaching? What does that look like? You have a baby also, by the way. <laughs> And twins. And twins. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, so my main job is my, you know, academic position. And then I do my private practice and my online work on the side. Um, And I'm a mom full time, (laughs) is what I say. 24 hours. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's pretty real. Yeah. Yeah. So what ends up happening? It's there. I don't want to say hobbies. But it's not like, it's obviously not my main source of income and I don't have as much time to put into it. So I am just taking what I have learned as a practicing psychologist, as a person who teaches 
how to you know, deal with people and human behavior. Um, what I've learned in my own um, business as a psychologist and helping coaches in particular learn how to use that so that they understand what their ideal clients and customers mm. want mm-hmm. to get to the heart of the matter, what's going to make someone want to take action now, and then more importantly, how to position themselves as the best person to help them. Mm. So... Awesome. Yeah, it's really, yeah, understanding human behavior to get them to see you as the obvious choice. But first, you got to figure out what exactly do they want. Yeah, awesome. What's going to okay, make cool. them buy? <laughs> yeah, so um, so since you, you, I've talked a lot about this with some other guests, um, because I have a feeling a lot of people listening actually kind of don't know what we're talking about, this like online entrepreneur world that we're in and very, very much feels like a bubble in so, in so many ways. Um I'm curious if you could kind of share your thoughts, like how would you describe what what being an online entrepreneur is like and what that culture is like? And since you kind of work directly with coaches, like the word coach, maybe even explain something like that, because what what exactly are we doing every day like in this online world? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I come with the tough ones. I forgot to I forgot to tell you. <laughs> No, it's okay. I expect that from someone who's an academic or was. Obviously. (laughs) Yeah. So what that looks like is sharing your knowledge with the world, primarily through social media in Mm. the form of videos in the uh, pre-recorded or live mm-hmm. um, in the form of doing not like seminars, like in person, but webinars on the yeah. web. <laughs> kind of <laughs> the same thing, classes. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a lot of teaching. Yeah. It's creating a presence online so that people can't help but want to see more of what you've got and how you can help them with a specific problem. And you've got to be really clear on what it is you do, who you do it for, and how you do it better mm-hmm. than anyone else mm-hmm. because it is just saturated. Mm-hmm. What, you got to so know the for yourself. What's your kind of psychological analysis of like the state of the online entrepreneur and like this space that we're in? Like what would you like what it's I, I don't know if that's like a fair question, but like what as an academic, put on your academic hat, like what do you assess is going on in that space? And like, especially with like marketing and relationships and the exchange of money. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I'm kind of looking at. So I was just curious if you had any thoughts on it, just so people can get an idea of what this space is like too. Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) I have a lot of thoughts actually. I bet you do. Um, So the first thing that comes to mind is that people think it's easier mm, than it looks like. Boom. And comparisonitis strikes and it strikes hard mm-hmm. where you start to compare your chapter one with someone's chapter 10. Easily. Yep. And then the perfectionism, which a lot of academics have, yep. starts to kick in. Yep. Like, why isn't this happening the way it should? I, I, you know, and it may seem harder than it was to get a, mm, a yes. dissertation done. At least that's how it felt for me, mm-hmm. to be completely honest, because I was you know, in a whole different ballpark business that was so foreign to me. And 
it's just a whole different ballpark. It really is. <laughs> Whereas in my, I can be in my office on campus, writing my articles, teaching my class, and I just put it out there and it just happens. Mm-hmm. Whereas online, there is so much noise that you've got to be able to hang in there, mm-hmm. even when you feel like it's hard. And when people are out there on social media saying how they made six figures in six days or whatever, something crazy like that, you cannot let that affect you. And there's actually research that shows that people who are spend more time on social media get more depressed. Ooh, yes. Because social yes. media is mostly just like the good stuff. Yep. And so people are painting this picture, maybe even an illusion, dare I say, mm-hmm. that life is perfect. Everything's great. They have all this, you know, wonderful stuff going on, but you're only getting a um, front um, front row seat to the image that they're showing. Mm-hmm. You don't have a backstage pass mm-hmm. to what's really going on. Mm-hmm. So you start to compare yourself and then what ends up happening? You either quit or you just have a <laughs> perfectionism hits and you feel like crap and maybe you give up. I don't know. It's tough. You know? Yeah. That's what that is. There's a lot of people out there, but you got to just be yourself, figure out what you're good at, what you like to do, and show people that you're the best person to be able to help them solve their problem. Mm, Yeah. So you brought up a lot of like challenges and bumps, and I'm like, yep, all of that. Um, Is there any other challenges that you've experienced personally in building your business, um, you know, that you can kind of share with us? Yes. The hardest part for me has been figuring out what the hell I do. Mm. Because to be completely honest, as academics, there's a lot we can do. Sure. It's true. In my situation, in my situation, I can consult based on my, you know, research, right? I can, I can build courses yep. like, like you do. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I could go that route. I could do life coaching. Yep. I'm a psychologist. <laughs> I've helped transform thousands of lives. I could do so many things. I, you know, I even have a career uh, counseling background. Huh. I teach a course. So you in could career tell counseling. people how to find the so, thing you could do. Yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, should I be a career coach? Should I be a life coach? I was just inundated with possibilities. Mm. And when things weren't happening fast enough, I would change yeah. directions. Sure. And that is like, no, no, number one. You got to be consistent. Stick to it. Don't get distracted by what everybody else is saying, how I made six figures in six days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think for the multi-passionate and multi-talented academic, it can be hard to figure out what to do, what the, how to build your name, um, and how to also maybe um, uh, adapt your academic skill set into the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial world. Yeah. So I want to hear more about that. So um, yeah, what are some of the benefits of having this academic training and background obsession, whatever we want to call it? What do you see as, you know, kind of some of those overlapping skill sets that um, you brought into entrepreneurship that you're like, oh, what? Not everyone can do that? Like, what are some things you're thinking of? Yeah. Yeah. I would say the critical thinking, being able to evaluate mm-hmm. <laughs> um, processes, um, creating systems, because 
that is, you know, like the structure in academia and, and how you create your courses, being able to teach, <laughs> teach huge. your knowledge, yep. your content, yep. that is huge. Cause not just because you know how to do something doesn't mean you know how to teach it. So nope. for academics, you know, teaching is, is a unique skill that not everybody has the privilege to be able to practice. Mm-hmm. I like that. You and, said and so it like that. Yeah. We, we, yeah. And so we, we take that for granted because what comes easily to us, we may, we think that it's not a big deal because it's easy yeah. And us. we've been refining but, it. Until you realize. We've been refining yeah. it. Like, I like the way how you said we have the privilege to practice, you know, because I believe that everyone is a teacher. I think being human is also teaching, right? It's, it's, that's what being in a relationship really is. There's, there's so many parts of teaching that I think it's just like a, what humans know how to do. But in like a public setting where you're exchanging knowledge and being like, okay, this is what you need to know to be able to get from point A to point B. Um, we've been practicing it, you know, like that saying that it takes 10,000 hours to really perfect a skill. So oh, like yeah. the fact like semester after semester, our, you know, the number of hours that go into this, we're walking into this space going, oh, you know, you know, creating a webinar and kind of teaching content or, or doing a master class or holding a group uh, holding space for like a group discussion. Mm-hmm. Like these are things that it's like, oh yeah, I like have some things that I've really perfected. I would say not to like, there's no perfect magic teaching land where everything works always and forever it doesn't exist as many of you know, but this idea that we like have this like toolbox of things that we can pull it, pull out in like those, some of those moments that some other entrepreneurs have never experienced before. So I'm glad you brought that up. Awesome. Anything else you can think of? Yeah. Like, like even how to assess progress, like when you're Ooh, grading. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Go on, go deep on that one. Yeah. So how to assess progress um, with your customers, with your clients, how to assess whether the change, the problem is being resolved, mm. you know, to track their grades, so to speak, mm-hmm. and your performance. Right. Your, yeah. your performance and be, being able to help them get there. Yep. Um, and I having measures kind of, you know, indicators throughout the semester. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wonder that's I love that you brought that up. I hadn't considered that one yet. Um, I yeah. And I wonder if some of it just happens in our head and we don't even like we're not exactly. writing it down. Right. We're not like that's what I'm telling you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It comes so easy to us. It's like, duh, mm-hmm. that we don't even have a process. We don't have a name for it. It's just it's something that's automatic for us. Yeah. But for others, light bulbs start to to pop up Mm -hmm. like this would be a brilliant idea for somebody's group program so that they keep their students on track and they get better success rates better testimonials more clients or customers yep it's so funny that you're bringing this up and i just had this light bulb moment for my own business like so i think with professors a lot of what we do that is part of teaching and improving as a teacher because you're if you know day one teacher lindsay last day teacher lindsay totally different teachers, <laughs> like totally different. Like I was way better at the end. Right. And still had ro- a ton of room to grow. Um, but all during that journey, I was picking up all these skills that I didn't necessarily couldn't write down maybe to someone. But what I, what's funny is that, and I don't know that you experience this at the same level as a community college instructor experiences this, but essentially we're at this 
point in time where we're trying to measure what's happening at the community college level and like funding is tied to the state. And so it's, it was turning more into high school and I was watching professors, um, you know, when I was coming in to community college teaching and when I decided that that's what I wanted to do, they were telling me about these SLOs, these student learning outcomes that they were being forced to write and had to be on the syllabus. And oh my God, I shouldn't have to write this stuff down because there was like this very like formulaic way of writing them. And we had to waste all this time and like meetings. Like I remember like my gut is still being wrenched because then we have these evaluators come in from the state and they're like, all, you know, the hundred percent of the classes at Solano Community College must be like assessed and like have SLOs and then have the assessment loop tied in. This was like a 15 year project. So they're still not at a hundred percent. That's how slow these institutions move. But it, it, I had this flashback of being like, we hated that. And we, Bought it, and it—I mean, it was even a little bit before my time. But the older faculty that I was coming on board with were like, "This is ridiculous, right?" So they were fighting it tooth and nail, and in the end, they had to give in to this. And so everyone was writing these SLOs, but no one was—no one actually really uses them. But here's the funny part: these SLOs we were doing them anyways. If you were a good teacher at the end of the semester, you're like, how did everyone do? Can they explain this like major outcome? And I'm not totally against measuring them, but it was, I I'm just realizing by you telling me this, I think most of us were doing it already. So being forced to write it down and pull it out was like, Oh, they're making us do more work but we're not getting paid more, which has always been an issue at the academic level, which I was in the union, so I could talk about that all day. That's a whole other conversation. Um, but there's more things that we were being required and told that we had to do. Um, and our pay wasn't going up, essentially. All that to say, I walk into this entrepreneur space and I say, SLO, learning outcome. And they're like, what? Like, oh my, I can track. Like, they're so results-based, right? In a business, they want to know exactly like how many students, how much money, revenue I'm making for people. Like, I mean, there's so, and I'm just like, oh, I can just say that. And I look like the smartest person ever. And it used to be like the bin of my existence. And now it's like this tool for people to give me money. Like, I'm just like, what is happening? <laughs> so anyways, long rant, but... Something that I'm realizing is you pointing out that the idea that we can assess progress naturally, that it's built in. I did not consider that skill set for where I'm at right now. That's so fascinating to me. Yay! Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, because I just want entrepreneurs, li- like people listening, uh, academics, people that are potentially like, should I start my own side business? What could I do? Mm-hmm. Like, so Lizette's telling us, it's not that easy to totally decide what you do. But what I'm hearing in your story is you kind of just need to decide and start taking mm-hmm. steps yes. towards that. So yeah, what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's like kind of going, hmm, I could use an extra thousand bucks a month. Um, I, I I have hours in my calendar. If you want to maybe even also talk about like how much time you spend on your business. So like what advice would you give somebody who's, who's looking to kind of start this? Yes. Oh, I love talking about this. I would say number one, do something that you enjoy. Start with something you enjoy. Now you've identified things you enjoy. Which of those things that you enjoy to do? Are you also good at? Okay. Got that. Now, which of those things is there a market for? 
Is it something that people want help with? Now, if you enjoy underwater basket weaving and you're good at it, people aren't going to pay you for it. (laughs) Yeah, maybe they might pay for a a niche course on how to do it. They might. (laughs) Courses, there are courses on everything. (laughs) Um, So that would be my recommendation. Do what you like, do what you're good at and find people, figure out if if it's something that people will pay you for. Mm, I think that last one's pretty big. Yeah, yeah. That's where the, I would say that's where the day in day out struggle is for the most part. And, you know, I've shifted a little bit and pivoted and and you have, and like, I think you just start getting clearer and clearer with going like, yeah, I don't like to serve in this way. Now I'm going to serve in this other way. And we move way faster than the institution, which has been nice. Oh, yes. And another thing I wanted to add to that is that whatever you choose now does not have to be what you end up doing later. Yeah, Because a lot of times the perfectionist academic gets stuck in their head, like saying, I've got to figure it out. It's kind of like choosing a major. It's for Mm. the rest of my life or, you know, figuring out what institution I'm going to go work at. You know, it's not for the rest of your life. You are in control. You get to decide how it goes. Start off with something. Give it your all. Give it some time. See if it works. If you like it. If not, you can always change. You're taking control. So keep that in mind. And it's not forever. You're always evolving. Love that. And I love the parallel to academia because, yeah, like the P, like deciding to do the PhD and picking, I mean, just remember like narrowing down your like research question and like all the like opportunity that you could have said. That was a big, that's usually a turning point in an academic's like journey to be like, oh, I have to make this decision. It's, it's related. But then I think you're pointing out where the academic life diverts a little bit. And and this is where entrepreneurship is really great. It's like, there's a lot of stuff outside of your control in academia, unfortunately, with where power lies in that institution. And, you know, your <laughs> academic or your advisor, right, your dissertation chair, like how much power they had over like, pretty much what felt like your entire life. Um, and then not only that, then also the way the institutions being run and decisions are being made completely Uh, you know, in many cases against the professor, but um, also just like without you being able to control that, like budget cuts and courses being cut and all of that thing, stuff that's outside of your control. And the beauty of entrepreneurship is like, for the most part, it lies with you. You can wake up one day and be like, I think I'm going to try to make a thousand dollars today. Like, what could I offer to somebody? Like, how could I help somebody? How can I make that energetic exchange? And in academia, there wasn't that power. So I love that you bring that up. That's a great way of looking at it. Um, Okay. So I would love to hear about where you are headed, like with this business. um, And, you know, it's been about a year. Have we talked about how long you've been in business? It's been about a year because I think you were doing market research last summer, like a little bit over a year or so. Yeah. Yeah. Or were you shifting or, or moving? Okay. Cool. So I'd love to hear about where you're headed. Where are you taking this business? And if you can kind of dive into also like why, because <laughs> I, as what I've learned in business, the why part matters a lot. So like, why are you doing this business and where do you see it in the next few years? Like what are your, your big lofty goals uh, for this business? Yeah. So initially it started because of need Mm. and I am enjoying the 
the potential of freedom that it provides. I envision my summers off Mm. um, living wherever I want and still running a business, still generating income and making, you know, a great impact. I love that. Regardless of where Mm -hmm. I'm at. And I envision having my little kids playing around while I'm on my computer doing my thing and enjoying the rest of the day as soon as I finish working. So that's kind of like what I would love to be able to do. Does that still involve being uh, a professor at a college? That's a good question. (laughs) And the truth is, I don't know. I Mm. don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that's just the truth. It has pros and cons, Mm -hmm. pros and cons Mm -hmm. to both. Mm -hmm. And and for right now, I'm enjoying the luxury of having both options. Mm, Yes. And it's it's a privilege. I think that that's a great choice to to be able to make and to not feel pushed out. Um, I see a lot in this entrepreneur space of people hating their nine to five so much that they like, you know, there's like a lot of desperation. And so... um, you know, you being grateful for this idea that like, it's up to you and it's your choice, which, you know, yes, the nine to fiver also has a choice. But I think, yeah, it's it's not a bad position to be in. No, and not when you have tenure. (laughs) And not when you have tenure. And (laughs) I can, walking away from that is a whole other ball game for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I have had a blast talking with you and I feel like we could probably just have our own podcast talking about academic life and entrepreneurship um, because there's just so many big questions um, and conversations to be had around this topic. So I just wanted to say thank you for playing with me. <laughs> Allow me to answer the or ask the tough, tough questions. Um, I really appreciate it. I had a really great time. I had an amazing time as well. Thank you for having me. Yes. And if um, anyone listening wants to reach out to you and maybe maybe they want some help actually with positioning themselves in the market, um, you know, since that's what you do, where would they be able to find you? You can find me at my website. It's com. So D-R-L-I-Z-E-T-T-E. Or you can just search me on um, social media. Facebook is where I tend to hang out. Yeah, Facebook is fun. I spend more time on Facebook ever like than I ever thought I would <laughs> running a business, which blows my mind. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was such a, a fun, fun day. And I look forward to watching you at, at your business takeoff and just more conversations. Thank you. Thank you.